the homeschool enthusiast. This is the podcast inspiring a generation of parents and students to escape public school prisons, develop a passion for lifelong learning, and promote family as the center of an education. At the homeschool enthusiast, we believe the best learning happens outside a classroom and that every student has unlimited God-given potential. And here's your host, entrepreneur and proud homeschool graduate, Noah Tetzner. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Homeschool Enthusiast. I'm so excited today because I'm joined by my new friend, John Edelson, who's joining us from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He's the founder and president of Time for Learning, which is a homeschool curriculum with thousands of interactive lessons in math, language, arts, social studies, science, and more. Those in the homeschool community uh, who have been in it for a while are certainly familiar with Time for Learning. I've been following them. I'm a fan. Uh, so I just had to have John on the show. But John Edelson, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Noah, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. The pleasure is all mine, John. Now, I've been following Time for Learning uh, for some time. You know, you, you certainly have a lot of uh, name clout in the homeschooling space, which is wonderful, uh, thanks to the great you know services you offer. But, you know, tell us about your personal journey. I believe you started the company back in 2004, is that right? Yeah, it's been almost two decades now. And and well, homeschooling has certainly changed. I dare say some elements of it are unrecognizable, you know, from 2023 to 2004. So, you know, how did you how did you get into starting time for learning and what like what need did you identify? Tell us, you know, take us back in time. Well, there were a few things going on in my life. Um, one of them is I needed a job. <laughs> Uh, I had been thanked by my last company and kicked out the door. Uh, so I was looking around for something that I thought was meaningful. I wanted to start a company and run it for, for a long time. I had already been through the mill with venture capital and other companies with lots of capital in them. I wanted to run a uh, small business, which was very well run, which took great care of its, of its customers and its uh, employees. And I wanted to do something I cared passionately about. Um, I'd already spent a number of years in the video game industry and had some real success. I actually developed um, the first PlayStation game, which was a free roaming 3D platformer, uh, which went platforms, a game called uh, uh, Croc, Legend of the Goblins. We went platinum. Oh, sure. Um, so I had this feeling that I knew a little bit about software and I knew something about kids' attention and how to get them to stay up late having fun and, and all. And if only I could apply that to something more meaningful than just having fun. And that, that's how I came across the idea of, gosh, let's try and do some really good education online. Wow. Wow. So what, what did you learn, you know, having worked in the video game industry about catering a, a product for children? That's such an interesting, you know, demographic. So when I developed a video game, when we were doing this platform game, I actually thought of it as a learning experience that you put the kid in front of a, uh, in front of a screen, he's got a little controller and there's a character on there. Obviously he's a character <clears throat> and the child has to figure out what to do and how to control the character. And we have a door so kids could pretty well guess, gosh, maybe I should take the character through the door and they press the buttons and they figure out how to manipulate them. And when they go through the door, we give them a little applause sequence. Kid feels good. There's a little happy music. Yeah. And no sooner does the kid have a smile on their face than their character is plopped down in a new place 
Only now there's a pair of these little guys that, you know, come bite his feet and, and, <laughs> uh, and get you. So the kid has to learn to manipulate his character a whole lot better and get around the little crocodile things. Um, and again, he makes it through the door. Again, there's applause. Now he knows how the, the how those crocodiles behave, which are sort of stupid because they run right to where you are. And as long as you keep moving, they're behind you. And now they're in a new thing. And there's a slightly smarter character coming after you, along with the little dumb ones. And what's fun about the game is you develop skills. You learn to recognize patterns. And then you get to use those skills and that pattern recognition in increasingly complex situations. Mm. And that's what's satisfying. If every level was completely different, it wouldn't be any fun. You wouldn't feel addicted. What's addicting is you're building the skills, you're building dexterity, you're building understanding, you're building your sense of the semantics and, and language of this world and getting to become a huge expert and quite accomplished. That's what's satisfying. And it's done at an appropriate level. You don't get to levels which are impossible, but none of the levels feel too easy. So then think about education. That, that's really what we're trying to do. The kids should feel challenged. The kids should feel safe. You can make chances. You should be making progress. Um, that, that's how I came at the idea of let's try and do some really good stuff online. Now, remember, this was 2003 and four. So back then, dial-up was how things worked. Computer modems went, <laughs> and you couldn't do a whole lot of stuff. But I kind of believe that technology was going to come along fast. So what I really launched with was broadband requiring multimedia, which didn't work very well on slow modems. But fortunately, in the two or three years that I was, first few or two or three years I was out there, all the fast access stuff showed up and bailed me out. So, wow. I, you know, part of it was good, good prediction of the future. And I got out early with the most ambitious in terms of multimedia programs. So when you started Time for Learning back in 2004, was the was the program specifically designed to homeschool to the homeschooling industry? Uh, I was designed for home education. OK. And I started actually by doing things a little bit backwards. Um, I had all this ambitions to develop really fun, interesting software. But when I looked around, a lot of people had tried that, and mostly they'd failed. In fact, they'd entirely failed. There were no successful multimedia educational gamified programs at that point. So I kind of did it backwards. What I did is I went and found the best educational software I could find, something that was kind of gamified and challenging and fun, that was being used in schools and acquired licenses to take it out to the homeschool market. The idea was that I would first go find a market, get in touch with it, and deeply understand their needs. And then if I felt I still identified a need for crazy, ambitious, fun software, I would develop it. But I would develop it with my finger already on the pulse, already being in touch with the market. And oddly, that's what happened. I did a I rolled out with pre-K through third. I licensed it from a company. They had language arts and math. Um, it was very, very successful. And within, um, within the first two or three years, I realized that there really was a hole because it didn't teach much vocabulary or spelling. So that's where I saw my opportunity. And alongside Time for Learning, I started a company called Spelling City, mm. which was all gamified. Everything was fun. Um, everything was a, a, a competition between you and a computer. And that was a huge, wild success with uh, homeschoolers and also with schools. Um, 
And then my vendor actually obsoleted their preschool, which wasn't very good. It had all sorts of technology problems and challenges. Uh, and so that gave me the chance to go develop a really nice preschool for time for learning. And then it grew from there. We added fourth and fifth. We added middle school. We added high school. We've added electives. Uh, we, we generally find most of it we can license in and integrate into one package. The real exception was elementary science and elementary social studies. So we also developed a complete K-5 science program, interactive, fun. Uh, K through second has spectacular music in it. And right now we're in the middle of creating a K-5 social studies program. Uh, we launched third grade, I think, at the beginning of this year. And fourth grade is uh, pending release and so on and so forth. Wow. Wow, that's exciting. Now, just thinking back to 2004, uh, you certainly must have had some foresight, John, you know, as to getting onto this, this, you know, homeschool bandwagon. Um, homeschooling has taken off um, over the last 10 years, certainly monumentally since COVID. But, you know, what what was homeschooling like from your perspective as somebody who was designing a, a service catered to serving that market? back in 2004? So to be honest, I didn't know much about homeschooling. And I had all sorts of biases about, you know, who these people were and why they were doing it. <laughs> yeah. But they weren't really biases because I, I mean, I had never really thought about it. Sure. Um, when I launched, I got a firsthand, up close, very personal view. Because when people called up with a credit card question or a technical question, they would be greeted by, hello, time for learning. John Edelson here. How can I help you? Um, I answered the phones myself for about the first, I was stayed on the phones for five years and I was the only one for the first two or three years. So after I resolved uh, people's question, um, you know, how do I do this? How do I do that? Uh, I would usually say, gosh, do you have a minute or two? I'm not only uh, doing support, but I'm also kind of in charge of some of the marketing here. And I'm just trying to understand a little bit more about the the homeschool uh, community. Yeah. And people are always, yes. And I basically start with, so can you just tell me why you, why you decided to homeschool? And um, how's it going? And what did you first use? And how did you find time for learning? And the stories I heard, I mean, there are hundreds of them, right? I asked them, probably thousands of them. Yeah. Um, first of all, the homeschooling community was far more diverse than any of the literature or market studies indicated, or even the trade shows. Turns out the people who go to the trade shows and they dominate the trade shows and they speak at the trade shows are not representative of the people I was speaking to. Mm. The people I was speaking to were a lot more diverse. Um, so just to talk in terms of segments, there's certainly the people who withdrew from the public school system because they had their own view of what education should be. Right. They wanted a biblically based education. They tended to use the traditional uh, cr Christian curriculum. They were there. But I didn't find that they dominated my population. My population tended to be a little bit different. These were people who didn't necessarily... Uh, intend to homeschool. They didn't approach homeschooling with any particular enthusiasm. They had arrived at homeschooling because of a series of unfortunate events and as a last resort in a storm. Wow. So their kids, for some reason, had gone to school and it just hadn't worked. 
The kid had been bullied. The kid had been terrified because of the school tests. You know, some of you will be held back this year because some of you will fail the test and everyone will know. I mean, there are teachers who started the school year that way, terrifying the students. Um, their kids with all sorts of physical issues. I mean, if you've got a gastrointestinal problem and you need quick access to a bathroom, institutions are, are not a great place for you. Um, kids with stutters, kids with Tourette's. I mean, there's all, all sorts of reasons. Right. Uh, families who move a lot um, for because of mom's or dad's job. It turned out to be a far more diverse community. And I found what I thought of as a silent majority. I don't know if it really was a majority generally, but it was a majority of our customers who had come to homeschooling because they don't know how else to solve their problem. I think of them as accidental homeschoolers. It was a term I, I coined. Mm. Um, and they came at it often thinking, you know, this is going to be a pain in the neck. I really don't want to do this. I don't know what else to do. I'll try it for a few months. What was interesting is how their attitude changed over time. And a lot of them, when I start, they started telling me the story, they would, they would basically say that. I didn't want to homeschool. I was a reluctant homeschooler. I was an angry homeschooler. <laughs> uh, but then I watched my child. And she flourished, or he yeah. flourished. That um, their personality improved. They made better friends than they had in school. They they started developing all these homeschool friendships were somehow deeper and and more meaningful and and healthier. Right. And also academically, it turns out my kid was not a problem academically. Um, I think of one mom. Uh, her daughter's name was Sage. And she said, you know, I had no idea my daughter was good in math. Um, I mean, the math teacher always complained about her behavior, but left to work at her own speed. She basically asked me after about three weeks, you know, why do I have to do this? Can I do fifth grade math? So we moved her to fifth grade and uh, she said, that, that's OK. What about sixth grade? <laughs> and in sixth grade, she found it adequately ch challenging that she just got it really quick and had been born in math. Um, the same mom, the same child, it turns out, also learned sort of the opposite on language arts, that the daughter had somehow snuck through the first few years of school and never learned to decode. She was basically sight reading, memorizing all the words. And while that works for the first three or four years of school, you don't really get through the end of elementary school that way because the number of words you have to know expands exponentially. And so she turned out not to be reading at grade level in fourth grade. And the mom had to back her up a grade or two and have her work on her basic decoding or phonics until she got smooth and could sound out a word properly and then move back up. Um, and this is a story I hear often over and over again. The parents just watch their student learn on time for learning, which gives them all this independence. The lessons are there. The practice is there. And by watching their child for their first two, three weeks, they learn an enormous amount of new things about their child and their, um, their academic skills, uh, strengths, and, and challenges. Also, their, their question of whether or not they're gritty, you know, have the, does the kid <laughs> dig in and learn it, or does, do they e get easily discouraged and need to develop more grit? Um, but I would hear these stories from the parents. Um, the, the other interesting thing is we actually have an enormous number of parents who really want their child to have a biblically-based education. What happens is they seem to all start with something else. They all start with, I don't know, Becca or Bob Jones University or right. uh, any of these. 
And that goes on for some number of years, you know, two years, four years. But then the parents are dealing with um, a child who's pretty bored by the curriculum. I mean, it's the same format year after year after year. It's, it's pretty dry. I mean, no one ever says that those things are fun or funny. And they're very demanding on the parents. Mm. So there's an awful lot of parents who, you know, three years in with one of those says, you know, that was good. Let's, uh, let's jazz it up a little bit. Let's use time for learning or for language arts and math. Or, or sometimes they use this for all four subjects, which gives them the opportunity to deal with what they call teachable moments. Uh, and we were very supportive of parents who wanted to do that. We, we have, yeah. you know, lists in the, in the parents' discussion of all the lessons which give them a moment to explain to their child that, yes, that's how we see the world, but these people see it that way. So I learned an awful lot from the parents in those first, first five years. Wow. No, that's wonderful, John. I, you know, one of the, the things that's amazing to see as homeschooling progresses over time is truly, truly the diversity of family situations that it attracts, you know, perhaps when homeschooling kind of first got its start, maybe as early as the 1980s or 90s, it was mostly the sort of traditional, you know, stay at home, homeschool mom, dad goes to work sort of situation. But now um, homeschooling is available and accessible to, um, you know, sort of two income families. Maybe mom has to work to provide for her family and she's, you know, not able to be there with the children. And, and I agree, a lot of those other curriculums are very demanding on the parent. Um, so it's great that Time for Learning can, can address those situations. We, we like to think that Time for Learning invented modern homeschooling, mm. that it's true in the sense that we were the first one out when broadband became available. We were the first ones to build a curriculum which was entirely online. You didn't have to install software. Uh, the work was all there. It was an integrated curriculum which nobody else had at that point. So the, the lessons were short and quick. The practice would allow you to um, regurgitate initially, repeat the materials you'd learn, but then start to apply them in different situations, think critically about what you've learned and how it relates to other things you've learned. Yes. Um, and then take you through various levels of elaboration and assessment. So it was the sort of modern educational techniques all packaged up in interactive multimedia with great, you know, for the little kids, animation and songs and for the older kids, um, uh, teachers, although we've, it's, we're beginning to shift from teachers to peer teaching. So now typically, or not quite half of them, but we're, it's moving towards a high school student being exposed to other high school students teaching to them rather than these older professors. It turns out wow. they, they respond better to it. So, so modern homeschooling is a big movement. Um, a, another element is you lose the us-them mentality. So in the early days of homeschooling, they were uh, pirates, pioneers. They were different <laughs> than everyone else. Um, in fact, it wasn't clearly legal in every state until the mid-90s. Um, and it wasn't accepted by the general population because it was confusing and, and weird. And young people don't always like things being done differently. So there's a real us-them mentality. Uh, I wasn't really part of it. Maybe maybe you go back that far, though you're pretty young. Sure. But um, I've heard people say that once you became a homeschooler, you socialized with other homeschoolers. Uh, and in fact, you shopped in homeschool stores and ate in homeschool <laughs> restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> 
And um, it really became an us them mentality. Uh, right. I, I think that's pretty much gone now that between the pandemic and yes. the trends of the decades of the decade or so before it, there's the animosity is pretty much gone. Um, almost everyone's had some experience with home education. Uh, when I run into mom socially and they find out what I do, I almost always get the same reaction. They say, oh, we homeschooled for a year. It was really great. I'd like to do it more, but you know, I had some health problems and this and that. We're thinking of doing it later on. Uh, and then the question I like asking them is, so what did you learn? Mm, um, yeah. not, not how their kids did, but what did the mom or the dad learn? Yeah. And, um, you know, they, they learned a lot. They learned about their own uh, strengths and weaknesses as a teacher. Um, and it's not really as a teacher. It's as a coach. Because, in fact, you know, nobody remembers that much of their education. They're not in a good place to, 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 to try and teach it. They learn along with the student. Um, and b- develop, you know, a conceptual awareness and familiarity with it. But the details, you know, the, the details of stuff we don't really remember. It's it's the general impression, which is a valuable part of the education. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear, John, of your, that you're incorporating like peer-to-peer, um, you know, education in Time for Learning's resources as well. Because, I mean, anecdotally, and I, I tell this to a lot of parents that are considering homeschooling, Whenever I have the privilege of talking to a homeschooling student, I mean, someone as young as maybe five years old, I'm always blown away at their communication skills. It's truly remarkable. I mean, the flexibility and, and creativity uh, that, that learning in a home environment affords a student is, is truly remarkable. So the sort of the most obvious part of homeschooling benefits, which I don't see enough people commenting on. Is it the is it the relationship matters? Relationships matter. We all know this, and you know in schools they talk endlessly about the teacher student relationship and how important it is. Um, but of course, there's twenty or thirty students in the classroom, right? And the, you know, school days are short, and the teacher has to spend a lot of time on the few kids that are a problem to to, to maintain order. Right. Um, uh, and I think you know, given an institutional environment, the right to focus on the relationship. But in the home, the relationship is a whole lot more important. Mm. That the most valuable uh, educational relationship is parent-student, parent-child, and then you know your, your siblings. Um, and these get a real chance to develop uh, deeply in the homeschool market. Um, what I one of the things I love hearing about is the parents who actually do all the lessons with the students. Yes. And and we don't advise that. We actually say, gosh, the students, it's good for them to have independence. It's okay to watch out of the corner of the eye, but let them figure it out and all that. And the parents often say, yeah, but I, I like to. <laughs> I like to learn it. I've never understood that part of history. or I've never understood really how figurative language works. It's so good to actually hear them break it down into you know, there's sports metaphors and these metaphors. It's, yes. it's really interesting for me. And um, that's an incredibly powerful model to the student mm. that the parents are also interested in this. This is not something you go through just because you're young. Learning is interesting. It's as, as much fun as playing a video game. And uh, parents, given the choice of exposure, will, will do it. And, it. and it can be a community exercise. Right. Oh, exactly. Now, John, I'm, I'm curious. Um, 
you know, I have to mention COVID because I feel like that was a turning point for the homeschooling community in sort of our history, if you will. It was it was a time when, um, you know, I mean, homeschooling has been developing and becoming more sort of accepted over the years. But then COVID hit and it was um, I don't know if this is the correct term, but in a way, the whole you know, world found themselves doing some version of homeschooling, um, you know, and all of a sudden, it, it, like you said, it wasn't this us versus them um, mentality. You know, you didn't have to necessarily rehearse a speech at the grocery store if you were a student and asked, well, why aren't you in school anymore? Um, so, you know, what was Time for Learning's experience with that moment when all of a sudden the whole world found themselves at home? So, uh we were like all the other companies. No, nobody was prepared for this. Uh, right. We we all had to, you know, react really quickly. Um, I mean, we had a hundred people in an office, and then we decided, okay, we're going to close the office. And it turned out the most important thing in the world for us at that moment was cables, because all of our people to work need two or three monitors. Oh, and sure. we had all these. Cable boxes, you know, do we have enough cables so that everybody can take everything home and work? So, yeah. you know, all the funny things to worry about, we were, you know, just scrounging around to get enough cables so people could go home and work. Um, in terms of what happened to the business and in homeschooling, one of the cool things about our approach is we've, we've always invested heavily. We were uh, built so that we could scale quickly to a much larger size. So unlike many vendors who um, were on shared servers and stuff and crashed for months on end, I mean, ABC Mouse was down for, I think, six months. <laughs> um, we, we, we had no interruptions in service. Uh, we did have trouble keeping up with the phone calls. We try and pick up every phone call in the third ring. And there was six or eight months there that no matter how many people we hired and trained, we just couldn't keep up with the calls coming in, uh, which... You know, I still feel bad about it because people really needed advice and help. Mm. Um, my understanding of that homeschooling is that pre-pandemic, 4% of the K-12 population in the United States was being homeschooled, which equates to about uh, maybe 2 million students, just short of that, between 1.5 and, and 2 million. At the height of the pandemic, the kids who are actually homeschooling, not, not in a virtual school, not a remote school, but the family taking responsibility for the education got just above 11%. That's a U.S. census number. They did a special survey. You can Google U.S. census homeschooling and read about it. Uh, I, I think that's a little large, but that's the number they came up with. Yeah. This summer was the time for people to say, you know, we really don't like homeschooling if, if they want to. And they went back. So the homeschooling market has shrunk back down. Um, I think it's running at about 7% of the population or 8% of the population. So I think the market essentially doubled. Uh, very hard to tell. I mean, there's, right. there, there aren't, there isn't a new big scale study. Right. Uh, I will say that the awareness of homeschooling changed dramatically. Uh, there's a very funny cartoon that made it through all the social media where there's the old view of homeschooling. We got a picture of a bunch of ladies who look withdrawn from the world. Are, are images of homeschool moms who look like they're withdrawn from the world and from 100 years ago. It's a little home on the prairie type. Yeah. And then the new view of homeschooling, we've got a bunch of women who look like superheroes who are pulling <laughs> it all off. Uh, and I think, silly though it is, it does reflect the respect that people 
um, showed for, gosh, you really do take control and do things right. And that's, uh, I, I don't think it's a, um, it, it's a real, it's not a superpower, but it's a, a certain level of capability. Instead of just giving up, parents dig in. Um, the other thing that changed in homeschooling quite dramatically is the demographics. Now, this had started a decade ago, yeah, but it was accelerated by the pandemic. It used to be that it was really just one demographic in the U.S. that was huge on homeschooling and it was very regional. But now the homeschooling community is pretty well distributed along the same demographics of the U.S. population. So African-American homeschooling skyrocketed, skyrocketed until it was commensurate with their percent of the population. And now they're homeschooling in slightly disproportionate numbers, slightly more. The Hispanics also zoomed up. Um, I think they, they, they're they proportionate with the population. And this is a big change in the homeschooling demographics. The reasons that people homeschool seem to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the future, well, none of us know. Right. But, you know, who knows what the virus is going to do? Who knows what's going to go on to the school systems? Uh, the trends that I see are that... Um, Parents have lost a certain level of confidence in the schools that they watched, parents watched over the shoulder of kids doing remote schooling. And yes, the teachers are not really good at handling computers. And yes, it was an awkward format. But at the end of the day, the content they were presenting did not generally impress the parents. Um, it had a sort of simplistic level. And there's a lot of parents who thought, you know, is that really all they're going to teach the kids about that? That's that's pretty formulistic and simple. That doesn't (laughs) that doesn't feel like it's going far enough. (laughs) Um, A lot of the teachers were uh, not that impressive, which is sort of unfair because it's it's a weird format doing remote schooling. Um, And a lot of parents got experience doing it themselves. Uh, The other thing that's going on is. In certain parts of the country, this great resignation, people leaving their jobs is is a huge deal, uh, including for schools. Now, if you put your kid in school and you've got a substitute teacher the first week and then a different substitute teacher the second week. Right. And then the third week, there's a third substitute teacher. There's an awful lot of parents who say, "Okay, yeah, right. This isn't going to work. And boom, back to homeschooling. So we're seeing that. Uh, there's people coming back into homeschooling sort of in the last month in December who were chucking the school system, usually because of the teacher problem that, um, you know, a a good teacher is a good teacher, but a series of substitutes, not a good teacher. (laughs) Uh, And they have the confidence and it's now respectable. So they, they, they give it a, they enter into it. You know, homeschooling affords families this consistency in terms of, you know, uh, a regular, a regular instructor. You know, uh, there are so many things that parents can control when they homeschool their children. They don't have to worry about problems such as bullying or, um, you know, the the types of the quality of meals that their children might be, you know, eating at a, at a public school or something. I mean, there's just this consistency. Um you know, I'm I'm curious, John, I understand no one has a crystal ball, but you've been in this for a long time. You know, where do you see homeschooling going? Do you think that it will, 
you know, continue to grow in popularity? Do you think it'll always be, you know, even if, even if, you know, incredible, just a contingent of, of the educational market? What are your thoughts on the future? So um, I think homeschooling will in- continue to grow uh, incrementally year okay. after year after year, and eventually it'll take over and win. But the institutions will steal all the big ideas from homeschoolers and use it. Huh? Let me explain that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the heart of homeschooling is the parent-child relationship and a student-centric education. Right. So I mean, the easiest way to think of this is you put a kid in the classroom, any normal kid is finding some of the subjects way too hard because they're going too fast, and some of the other subjects way too slow because they're going too slow. So you know, in some kids' subjects, the kids convince they're dumb. In other subjects, they turn, they get bored and turn off. It just doesn't work that well. Um, education at the student's pace is far better. The kid absorbs the information. If they have to repeat a lesson two or three times, they can. It's just, it's just a better education to proceed at your own pace and not have this artificial norm, which is uh, stressing you out or boring you to tears. Um, that's a core concept of homeschooling. Um, another core concept is if you're interested in something, you don't have to move on next week to something else. You can build project-based learning and go deep on it. You get to pursue your interests. Um, uh, another one is you're not artificially measured against all the other kids in all these different ways. You don't put 40 kids together and at recess and hope it goes well with one adult looking to see the most visible problems and, and dealing with them. There's a lot of these core concepts um, with software and really good you know, recordings of the best instruction and all. Uh, this will increasingly, this will make homeschooling really, really effective. Um, at some point, the institutions and, and things, new things are emerging, like these little pods. Uh, yes. I mean, a parent and two or three childs, the parent does feel cooped up. Uh, homeschoolers traditionally have solved these with co-ops and parent support groups and all sorts of different ways to group together. The, the newest incarnation of this are the pods, the educational pods or the, uh, Gosh, what's that term they use for one-room schoolhouses? Uh, there have been some clever terms. Sure. But essentially, a few families get together and they um, establish a place. Yeah, like a micro-school, a co-op. Micro-schools. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, it's really just a reinvention of co-ops in a certain sense or slightly different variation on them. Um, these are good things. Th- these are important uh, this gives parents a little bit of flexibility. Fact is, not a lot of parents are dying to spend a hundred percent of their of their workday with their kids. You know, fifty percent might be a much better number, uh, <laughs> or thirty percent, or seventy percent. Depends on the family. Right. Um, and this is more easily accomplished if there's you know four of you or half a dozen working in concert with kids that are compatible, and you you sort of you know build a little community. I think there'll be a lot of this. Uh, mm. I think it'll be um, very, very effective. I think it'll get all sorts of government support in certain states. Uh, I think it's good to hire a professional to be there some of the, part of the time. Um, so I see these tutors 
I, you know, I would pick the curriculum first uh, because your tutor might turn over. And I don't really like it when they try to build the whole thing around a tutor because, you know, no tutor really knows what a second grade math curriculum and a sixth grade uh, science curriculum should be. So right. I'd say, you know, sign all the kids up for the right curriculum. I think it's time for learning, but then have a tutor available to help them and supervise um, and work with the parents. Uh, I mean, you all learn from it. Many states will be very supportive of it. Other states, not so much. They're going to want to control it. And these will all turn out to be somehow related to the schools. And that's where I say the institutions will come back. That, you know, in the states where regulations are a big deal, I can see them, yes, we'll fund it, but we're also going to control it. Right. And I don't know whether that'll turn out to be a great thing, a total victory for homeschooling, or it'll turn out to be too institutional and the homeschoolers will spin out again. No, no one quite knows how that happens. And there's 50 states, so we'll probably see some of each. I mean, it's one of the strengths of the federal system that, you know, the states can learn from each other right. and and uh, and move forward. Um, n- none of us know exactly how it's going to work. I mean, nobody could have predicted decades and decades ago that technology would be so important to education mm. and that gamification of education could be so important. Um, another thing that's changing and uh, homeschoolers are again ahead of the curve. And that is what education is supposed to be about. Mm. Um, decades ago, the shtick, the goal was to get a good job, you need a good education, you got to go to a good college. And everything had a very academic feel to it. Yes. That's, that's really changed. People now believe that the quality, pure education is really what elementary school is about. That's when you learn to read. That's when you get your basic math down. That's where you understand the basics of science and the scientific method. And you learn to think about social studies as an inquiry process. But starting somewhere in middle school and certainly in high school, people think of this and absolutely in post-secondary. This is all career training. This is getting you going on your career. And the patience with all that purely academic stuff is really gone. Um, I don't know how we got there, but it's it's not there anymore. Um, and how far this will go and what it will become, nobody really knows. I mean, if you look at a modern high school, they've actually changed. Most of the high schools in America now have a series of academies within them, each one with a career focus. Are you interested in health? Yeah. Are you interested in technology and multimedia? Yeah. Are you interested in, in the arts? Uh, are you interested in, uh, there's often a military training one. And they um, have not just electives, but they have actual programs that orient you towards this and um, often include apprenticeships and internships. Homeschooling has been way ahead of, on this too, but it's very ad hoc. There's no real systems out there. And this is one of the things that Time for Learning is looking at to to maybe do in the next few years. Um, we have a rich set of electives in middle school and high school. We have technology, learn to program, et cetera. We have all sorts of things in art, uh, art appreciation. We have some career uh, thinking courses. We have health courses. There's a lot of good stuff, but there's still just electives. Taking it to the next level where there's a real uh, pathway, a, a 
a conveyor belt that takes you from your initial veins of interest towards an understanding and a beginning of a career, I think is an important trend. Um, I, I also think the companies and the government groups that really want to get people into the jobs of the future will start looking at this more seriously. Uh, we already see it in technology that the companies who really want you know, health workers or uh, certain sorts of technologists are sponsoring education. Um, but this is, this is early days yet, and I expect that to be a dominant force in the next few decades. Wow. Those are fascinating insights, John. Um, you know, could you speak to the flexibility that time for learning affords homeschooling families? Um, you know, I, I know, especially in high school, this is something that a lot of parents are interested in um, as you know, a lot of parents are starting to think about their their high schooling child's career. You know, um, instead of sitting in a classroom for eight hours a day, it's, um, you know, why don't you take this, um, you know, tech certification online or this welding apprenticeship, you know, as you do your studies. Um, so I'd love it if you could speak to the flexibility that Time for Learning affords. So Time for Learning is what we call an asynchronous program, which means you do it in your own time. So the biggest capability is for parents and children to set the child's schedule. Now, one of the simple things is there's some kids that just don't do well with an early morning. Uh, you know, maybe early to bed, early to rise makes us healthy, wealthy, and wise. <laughs> um, maybe the world's not that simple. Maybe there's some kids whose internal clock just doesn't work very well yeah. if you force them to start in the morning. And if you give them an extra hour to sleep in the morning, they're, they're a much better student and a happier human being. Um, so this sort of flexibility is built in. In high school, as you mentioned, this often has to do with you also want to do something else. So maybe you're doing internships uh, and maybe it's the other way that someone wants you to work in the mornings and you're really interested in knowing really what happens in a hospital. So you get yourself a, I guess they're still called candy striper job, but a volunteer job in a hospital where you're um, getting real exposure and being an assistant in different departments, uh, but they want you in the morning. Well, no problem. You can do your education in the afternoon on time for learning. Uh, and we see a lot of this, people that are mixing uh, interesting part-time jobs and hobbies with their homeschool education. Gosh, we've had people homeschool for the, the, the funniest reasons. They're uh, <laughs> such diverse reasons. There was, um, gosh, I can't think of his name. There was one kid who was driving go-karts competitively. No kidding. And he was really into it. Uh, and he homeschooled so that he had the time to work on it. And pretty soon he was driving cars. Now he's a professional race driver. He was rookie uh -huh. of the year. Oh, Ernie Francis Jr. That's who it was. Wow. He was now a professional race car driver. His father had been a race car driver. And... Uh, we actually sponsored his car for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Oh, that is a full circle moment. That's awesome. Oh, it was great fun. And, uh, you know, of course, I don't think it's commercially sensible to, for us to spend money on a race car. But the thing that made it make sense is um, he was so into it. We uh, got him to agree to come to the office and do an interview. Then we found these two kids who were uh, internet sensations. They were doing um, interviews on YouTube and had a huge following. 
they were also homeschooled students and they were also using time for learning. They were ages eight and 10, a brother and sister team. Wow. So we had those two interview Ernie Francis Jr. at age 17. And they were all time for learning homeschoolers. <laughs> and uh, that was a great marketing effort. That's about five years ago. Uh, and the idea was that you could dream big, you know, whatever you want to do with your life. If you've got a passion and you want to start on it now, time for learning facilitates that. Now, now one of the things about passion is I think in some ways it's, um, it should be talked about more responsibly. There's a lot of people who, who don't particularly have a passion and what they need is ex an exposure to a lot of new things so that they can find um, a little interest and that interest might grow into what you call a passion. And that's one of the advantages of using time for learning. One, we have all these electives, which expose you to lots of different things. The science program and the social studies also give you a lot of exposure. But also we give you the time so that you can go off and, and find things and, and, and get exposed to it. Um, and unlike school things where you have to keep moving, if you find something you're interested in, one of the things about homeschooling is you learn that you can pick your own path. And if you've got a vein of interest in whatever you just learned about as a career interest, uh, go for it. You know, you, you get to set your own path. And that's such an important message that the homeschoolers learn at a deep level, that the standard path is not for everybody. And you have the freedom, you have the privilege in this country. And really, with that privilege, you have responsibility. Don't feel like you're doing something you don't want to, you want to study this way, be our guest, step right up. Yes. And it really develops a sense of personal agency and responsibility. Oh, John, I have goosebumps because I mean, in part those stories, you know, those success stories remind me of my own story, but that is what homeschooling is all about. You know, everybody's interested. Uh, we have a resource center here where I live in Green Bay, Wisconsin. My family rents an office space and it's a, a free resource uh, grant funded for home for parents that are considering making the switch from a public education to a private education. And every year we host a homeschool graduate panel uh, where we have some of the local graduates in our community, and it's just a, a Q&A with those grads. And that's what everybody's curious about is, okay, so how did your kids turn out? <laughs> so when I hear, you know, those stories, I get a, I get really excited. So we, uh, we started hosting graduation ceremonies the last few years. So not just high school, but finishing middle school, elementary, and kindergarten. And we do this big online ceremony. I give a speech, you know, I get all dressed up. Um, the kids all get you know, caps and gowns, get their picture taken. They each get 30 seconds when their picture's up there and their little bio that they've written up. Um, it's surprisingly emotional. Yes. Uh, the number yes. of people who log in and comment and discussions are very powerful. It's really interesting that you can recreate that sense of ceremony and public recognition of accomplishment yeah. with technology. Uh, let me ask you, you, you were a homeschooler. How did your high school experience finish? Was there any pomp and circumstance? And how did you go from whatever you're doing to homeschooling onto the next thing? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I appreciate you asking that, John. So I, uh, when I was in high school, so I was 16 at the time, 
uh, I had just, I had listened to podcasts with my dad. He's a real estate, he owns a real estate appraisal firm. So he drives all over the state, you know, appraising properties. And uh, we would listen to podcasts just continuously, um, you know, when I would write along with him. So um, long story short, I had the idea of starting a podcast uh, when I was in high school. I've a huge history buff. So I decided to start a podcast about uh, Viking history. Um, just simply called the history of Vikings. And the first guest that I had on the podcast was the professor of medieval literature at Oxford university. Um, a woman named Caroline Larrington and uh, long story short, within five months of launching that podcast, 50,000 people were tuning in every month. Um, so I, after that, I got a, a book deal with a major military history publisher and, um, you know, that launched you know, my career, I started my own marketing agency where we specialize in podcasts. But, um, you know, I'll never forget when I graduated, um, you know, from my homeschool journey. Um, it was it was nuts because I had already sort of established this this adult life for myself when I graduated. And I rem I remember, um, you know, we had invited a lot of people to our house and my parents were there and just the the raw emotion of, you know, having completed this this journey, um, you know, as a homeschooler. Um, and now, you know, one of the reasons I do this podcast is because I believe in its power, the power of homeschooling. And I'm so excited to share this with people. And I often say, you know, I wouldn't have anything that I have today if it wasn't for my homeschooled education. That's a fantastic story. Uh, <laughs> yes, we'll you. absolutely interview you and, and talk to you about to, to our people. Um, I, I find you know, anybody when they talk about their life story, it, it's very moving. People are so interesting. Uh, I do remember one blog post by a mom who had homeschooled her two children. And the second one was approaching graduation. And in this case, uh, she asked the question, not what's going to happen to my child, because that was a little bit like you, it was all set in stone. He had figured out his interest in IT and what he was going to do. It was really about her, that she had spent the last 15 years living, breathing, thinking about her children's education and with a real sense of mission and satisfaction. And she's like, so who am I going to be when this boy graduates? Yeah. You know, we're, we're not that many weeks from it. And it was um, the, the level of satisfaction that she expressed about what the opportunity she'd been given to take care of these kids, her kids, the enormous joy and pride, uh, the richness of the experience. And what does she do for with herself now? Uh, and it was an enormous challenge for her. Uh, and, and it's an interesting question that, you know, parenting is fun to begin with, but you take it up to the level of homeschooling and it's so all-encompassing for so many years, then what? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, exactly. Um, no, that's certainly an interesting By the question. way, she, she did live happily ever after. She <laughs> did find things. So we, we don't have to worry about her, but she hadn't figured it out at that point. It was the first time she asked the question. Wow. Her name was Carrie. Wonderful woman. Wow. Man. Well, John Edelson, this has been uh, an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. But before I let you go, you know, we have hit on so many good things today and I'm so thankful for your time. You know, what is one thought or one one bit that you would leave our listeners with our, our audience of, of homeschooling families? 
So I think you should all be very proud. Uh, I should also, I would also urge you to think of yourself as a community. You've all been through the same experiences. Um, the, the homeschool moms I know, they almost all approached homeschooling with trepidation. You know, do I, you know, gosh, I wasn't very good at math. I'm not sure I write very well. Do, will I be able to homeschool my child? Who am I? There's this humility and this feeling of it's, it's a challenge too much. Almost everyone seems to start homeschooling with, okay, we'll try it. We'll try it for this semester. We'll try it for the rest of the year. Um, almost everyone adds, well, that didn't go so badly. Uh, let's try it again. And they nickel and dime, inch by inch, they incrementally decide to go through it. And not everybody homeschools all the way through. There's a lot of people who do it for five years or seven or three years. And then it's time to take a different approach to education. Um, I've heard that a lot. What I've never heard, not once, is anyone saying that they regret the years spent homeschooling. Over and over again, I hear the parents say it was the most satisfying, the most challenging, the most exciting family and educational experience of their life. And that's what I think you all should recognize, that it's just a fantastic opportunity. We're pleased, Time for Learning is pleased, proud, and very, we take the support of our homeschool community very seriously. We do, we work so hard trying to make it smooth, simple, make software as um, as efficient as you want it to be. And, and it's hard. I mean, we all use Amazon and eBay and Facebook and you know, Microsoft, all the software that reflects billions of dollars of investment and expectations get set there. And we try to meet them. We try to match that level. Although, frankly, we don't work with that sort of budget. <laughs> um, but I think the sense of community amongst the homeschoolers is something we should all take enormous pride in that we've uh, um, brought up a generation of kids and will continue to do so, really trailblazed away. That's uh, good for them and, and, and good for us and good for our country. Well, I couldn't agree more, John, and thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Of course, I'll include links to Time for Learning and, and all of the resources there in the description of this episode. But thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Noah. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to The Homeschool Enthusiast. Subscribe for free wherever you listen to podcasts. Twice a week, we bring you a message of hope and freedom, remembering that every student has unlimited God-given potential and the best learning happens outside a classroom. 